to Aurelius Podcast, Episode 4, with Josh Brewer, CEO and co-founder at Abstract, co-creator of 52 Weeks of UX, and one of the baddest Mamma Janas you've ever seen. Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I am absolutely pleased to be able to introduce you in that way. <laughs> we'll just start off with that. So... You know what? I'm going to dive right in on hot on the heels of you being the baddest man jamma we've ever seen. Josh, how do we know that we are building the right products? You've done a ton of design. You've talked about design and product and even building your own companies, right? How do we know that we're making the right things? <laughs> uh, that's a really great question. Thanks. I try. Uh yeah, no, I mean, you, it's get right to business. Um, how do we know we're making the right products? You know, um, I think there's a, there's a lot of different angles I could uh, start tackling this, but I think the most uh, kind of obvious one is that um, you build something that people find value in. Mm -hmm. um, so you get a little chicken or egg going on there, though, because, um, you know, there's a lot of steps that, you need to take in order to be able to validate whether or not something's even valuable um, or useful or appealing or any of those things. Um, you know, there's a lot of research techniques and a lot of, I mean, a lot of really smart people who've written a lot of really good books um, about this. Um, and I think, you know, one thing we've done, um, I actually, I've been really fortunate. I've worked with some great researchers in my career and um, spent a decent chunk of time trying to do, uh, you know, investigation up front. Mm -hmm. Try to really understand what problem you're trying to solve uh, and to put yourself in the best position with the most information available to you. Sure. Because once you dive into the process, you're, you're knee deep, you're totally in the weeds, you've been staring at the thing for so long that you can't hardly, you know, tell this from that. Mm -hmm. um, and so you need something to kind of calibrate against, I think, as you're going through the process. Yeah. There's, there's an argument to be made though, that like some of it is just fundamental belief, mm -hmm. right? Like you believe something needs to exist. And so you will literally will it, you know, into existence <laughs> and, and that may or may not have anything to do with any research or anyone else at all. And it may, you know, show up in the world and people end up liking it. And, you know, I think some companies have been really fortunate that, you know, they managed to do that. They almost fell into some of these things. Um, I definitely think, you know, Twitter is one of those great examples. Um, I don't know when they started, if they were genuinely like, okay, so here's our matrix for success and how we will know whether or not we've built a good product. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it was scratching an itch, following a hunch, you know, pulling on threads and then paying attention. And if there's one thing that I've really, really, learned in the last couple years has been to pay as much attention to the little, little things that you see and hear and witness when someone's either using something that you've built or you're talking about it with them and listening to their responses to certain things. What things do they actually pick up on? What's their body language like? You know, if you're able to see that when you're talking with them, yeah, there's all kinds of cues that can uh, lead you, uh, into new areas and actually sometimes to pull on threads that uncover a hidden need. And, and I think that for me 
has been like a really big part of the last few years for sure. Um, in building a couple of companies and trying to do this from scratch, uh, that's, that's been a, a huge lesson for me. Great. Okay. So I like a number of things in the, in the answer that you gave to that question. Something that I latched onto that I want to dig deeper in is you said, you know, sometimes you've got this thing living with you uh, and you're so close to it that you can't see the forest for the trees and you need something to calibrate against. And so I want to take that and even something that you just most recently mentioned where, you know, picking up these things um, as people are using something or as you're talking to them about what you might make. Is there a correlation there? And directly what I'm asking is what can we use to calibrate back to our, hey, are we still doing the right things? Are we making the right choices, the right recommendations, et cetera? So uh, one thing that I've, I've become a uh, pretty solid believer in is uh, in this notion of kind of the jobs to be done framework. Mm -hmm. uh, I know there's a there's some companies that like wholesale, wholesale subscribe to that um, and really, really like I think have taken it way more serious and further down the road than we have. Um, but it's something that I look back at a lot of the companies that I've been fortunate to work at and underlying a lot of what we did was identifying honest to God needs, mm -hmm. like, like actual jobs people were doing, but that there weren't tools for, or there weren't solutions for, yeah. um, or in some other cases, like realizing, Oh my God, um, I work at a big company. And I communicate in my personal life in a certain way. And wow, I sure wish I could communicate that way at work, mm -hmm. right? Like, that was a huge underpinning of what drove social cast. Um, you see a number of other companies, Slack, I would say is the most recent incarnation of that, that spirit, right? Like sure. there's a way that I converse and communicate in one place. Why the hell can't I do it over here? Yeah. Um, so kind of like paying attention to those things, it helps keep you honest. And in a lot of ways, um, as we've been building out abstract, you know, there's a lot of times where you're like, wow, we could do, we could do five different things here to solve this, you know, problem. Yeah. And then you get going a little further and you're like, wait, 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 wait. Okay. This is really cool, but does it address job A? Right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Does it address job A and job B? No? Okay, then why are we actually putting time and energy into building this? If we aren't actually addressing the things that we've identified are the highest value to the people that we've talked to or even to ourselves, right? And, and done our own internal audits. Um, being able to put those things down, write them down, print them out, share them, constantly refer to them. Um, it's a really, really valuable tool to keep yourself honest. And, and as you said earlier, um, calibrate constantly. Yeah. So, okay. As you're describing this <clears throat> and you're talking about jobs to be done, which I'm sure a lot of people listening are either familiar with already using now or have at least heard of. It's interesting for me because Everything that you were saying, we actually have a parallel to, uh, but we use maybe a different language for, right? So a job to be done is really a goal of our product or a goal of the experience of using our product for us, right? And so that is to say, the goal is to help help people better do, you know, ABC job, just like you mentioned, right? And 
again, the other analog to that is as we go along in this process, the decisions that we're making, the recommendations that we're making, the design choices that we're making, do they help us meet that goal? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I completely agree with that. And I mean, especially if you've got, you know, more than one person uh, that has a hand on the design stuff or you have a designer who's working with some great engineers, like that conversation has to happen constantly because, mm-hmm. you know, whether you like it or not, there's a lot of times where like, oh, this aesthetic choice feels right. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, except that it doesn't communicate at all the thing that needs to happen here. Right. And mm-hmm. so like, um, I've, I've personally learned that I've had to be the, uh, enforcer of those kind of, uh, conversations, uh, over the years. And it, it's just this amazing way of, um, focusing the conversations and the decisions that you're making on something that is less, uh, subjective. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, a comment on that, and then I'm going to take a, a mild left turn. So the comment I have is, for sure, bi- you know, building the right thing or making the right feature or enhancement or whatever is a consistent conversation where you are presenting what it is you learn from your customers or your users, whatever you call them, and to use your language, calibrating that against what we say we are trying to accomplish. Right. Yeah? Yeah. And so... Another, so the slight detour or left turn that I'll make too is, you know, you're talking about this in terms of conversations. Interestingly, yourself and many others actually in our industry have talked about this notion of, you know, making design critique and feedback, you know, and you even use the word, um, or I should say, removing the subjectivity out of it, right? And if we have this, if we have this thing where we say, we all agreed to this goal or you know this job to be done is that's what we're trying to user experience critique we can say this feature anything does it help us meet that and that's a conversation that's much easier to have rather than opinions and politics yeah um i i think you know whether you're talking about a small design team or a large design organization or you're talking about a you know kind of a pod, right? So made up of a designer and a product person and some engineers or, or whatever the makeup of that group is, right? Like that conversation and that, that um, critique is, is critical because the goal is to move forward, right? Mm-hmm. The goal is to find alignment and agreement that we are truly like the presented solution does indeed solve the problem we agreed we were trying to address, right? Yeah. Um, one of the things that we did back at Twitter uh, at one point was we created a very simple um, template for our design, you know, critiques. And it really like, it was like, all right. And part of this was just a forcing function of this, the scale that we were working at and our team was growing really fast. And we had to figure out how do we get through enough of these in a week, right? So that people aren't languishing mm-hmm. um, waiting for feedback. And so part of it was just like, okay, cool. What is it that we're actually looking at today? right? Um, what problem are you solving? What is not working? And what's impeding your progress? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, are there any blockers? Are there other dependencies? Do you not have information you need? Things like that. And it was like a simple like way to set it up, but it was like, it made, it forced the conversations to be scoped around that. And if you couldn't actually answer those, then you weren't ready for a review. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. Um, and and it was awesome. Like I really felt like it was uh, a good, really good, healthy step forward for that team at that time. Um, and I think it, it continued to carry forward. And I've seen a lot of other teams adopt a very similar approach because it just you know, we're human beings. We, we need a little bit of nudging to keep us, you know, uh, focused and making sure that we're really answering the hard things so that we can get the best and highest level, uh, feedback and, and conversation out of those moments together. Yeah, no, I love that point. I mean, doing the right things, not the things we want to do. <laughs> it seems a subtle difference, but it is profound in the way it manifests. Um, completely agree. I want to go back to what you were talking about at Twitter. And I'm curious, you know, how did you set that up or track or manage that, right? To determine a, if somebody was ready, right before they got to that meeting that, you know, maybe you and the whole team was invited to, um, and or B for the traceability back when somebody, right, like a stakeholder walks in at the 11th hour and goes, what are we doing and why? Yeah. Um, so part of it was, you know, uh, the design managers at the time, you know, you had a pretty good pulse on what everyone was doing week over week. So week to week, there was definitely a, um, a decent sense of what was being worked on and what stage it was at. Um, when we introduced this little, so it was basically a keynote template that had those four slides on it and mm -hmm. you answered those questions and then you attached any of the, you know, screens that you wanted to discuss to it. Um, and it really just was, we made a switch one day and said, look, this is how our design reviews are going to go from now on. Um, submit your, you know, your deck before the meeting. And that was kind of like how you knew it was like, if the deck didn't get there, then like, okay, clearly you're not ready to talk about it. Um, but most everybody was like, they grabbed it, ran with it. Um, I know that it evolved over time. And um, we even used that as kind of a building block because later um, as Twitter grew and as, as the organization grew, design ended up presenting to kind of the executive team, you know, fairly often. And when you're in that context, man, you're not rolling in with like a, a four or five slide deck that's kind of like just for the design team. You're, you're telling a story. Um, and so over time, our um, kind of design presentations became much more of a narrative, yeah. right? Like setting context, identifying who the intended audience was, what problem it was actually solving, um, and then then kind of like walking them into the experience as much as you can. Uh, that was an extremely effective technique. And... Um, I mean, even after I left, they were still operating that way. I have no idea if they're still uh, employing that at this point, but mm -hmm. um, it definitely served uh, both the design organization, but I think really the rest of the company because um, it led to a lot higher fidelity conversation. Yeah, no. So this is fascinating. And I actually, I have a follow-up question and I want to keep going on this topic. The follow-up question I have is, you know, what changed, uh, other than the fact that it went from maybe a four slide keynote to <laughs> some X number of slide keynote, right? But like what changed when you had to talk at that level about why design and more strategic design in this way was important to your organization? Wow. Um, <clears throat> so what changed? I think there's kind of two different 
things that I'm thinking immediately when hearing that question. One is like, there was a higher order conversation that was happening within the company, which was about like the role of design in kind of the product development process and in the decision-making process and in understanding the needs of the users and how those align with the needs of the business. Um, and, you know, we were really fortunate. We had great design leadership, um, you know, in Doug Bowman and then in Mike Davidson when he took over. And part of that, you know, was really uh, being able to be, it's such a cliche term at this point, but like having a seat at the table yeah. really actually became important. Um, and it was something for me that I really fought for and uh, was part of, I think, kind of my mission there was making sure that at a minimum, we were participating at the right level. Um, for design to come in at the end and kind of polish it up and make it look pretty mm. uh, really defeats <laughs> of it being part of the organization. Yeah. Um, if you want to treat it that way, it really is a service. And you know, uh, there are companies who treat it that way and are actually still effective. Um, but what, what I witnessed was it wasn't that design had the answers at all. Um, I think, unfortunately, designers can get into a spot where you think, oh, my God, we got to see the table. That means we have the answers. That means we should run everything. Yeah. Uh, God, if I've learned anything in the last number of years, that's not true. Nothing farther um, from the truth, right? <laughs> um, but what's amazing is the conversations that happen when you put you know, the CEO and the CFO and the head of product and the head of engineering, you know, and the design, the head of design, and those people are all sitting around a table together and a number of other folks as well. Um, the collective kind of brain power and problem solving ability, I think increases. And one thing that I've, I've seen is design really can often bring a, a very like um, outside the box, perspective to those conversations and often can challenge assumptions and question things without like saying that anything's wrong, but literally just like set something up in a way so that everybody can look at it in a different light. And I think that's really um, something I strive to do. And it's something that I think that is kind of a, a gift that, that good designers have. Um, and, you know, being totally okay with the fact that you're not always going to be right and that you're not always going to like be the winning vote in the room um, also helps because it, it helps center you in, in the fact that like the goal is for the business to move forward. The goal is for the product to serve the users in a way that they genuinely, um, you know, love and trust and want to continue to engage with. And it's too easy to get stuck at lower levels, right? So the thought that occurred to me, Josh, was, you know, you say the cliche of you get a seat at the table. The thought that occurred to me was if design gets a seat at the table, you better sit up straight. It, well, so uh, I actually, wow, I'm going to quote myself here. This is really amazing. It's very meta. Uh, I remember tweeting something uh, that basically said, just because you have a seat at the table doesn't mean much. Uh, babies have a seat at the table. It's called a high chair. <laughs> Mic drop, end podcast. Josh Brewer, thanks for joining us. <laughs> no, that's awesome. That's awesome. But it really was coming out of like, um, you know, I've been a decently vocal proponent for design having a seat at the table. And, um, and the point isn't to have a seat at the table and then like 
suddenly you're, you're in charge. Mm -hmm. Like the point is to be a part of the conversation. The point is to be with those other people contributing together. Um, I, I just deeply believe that designers bring, and well, I should say designers can bring uh, a unique perspective to things and they can sometimes coax out of these other folks great ideas that they themselves may not have been able to get to. And, and it's okay that you weren't the one with the great idea. And it's okay if it isn't even an idea that you totally love, if you helped the whole thing move forward and you've been able to be a part of the decision-making process at the right places, then I think, I think we're in a good spot, you know? Yes, absolutely. And you can't see it on the podcast, but I have been nodding my head for the last 90 seconds as you've been describing this. It is 100% true. Um, I mean, the interesting thing about it, it, it ties all the way back to the first question that we asked you, right? Which is how do we know we're doing the right things? Whether or not the idea to achieve or solve the right problems was your idea or not is irrelevant. It's irrelevant. If you are truly committed to doing the things that matter most uh, for your customers or users and your business, then it doesn't matter how we came to it, right? You want to be a facilitator and or shepherd to that. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So, so that's great. I'm going to take a little bit of a different direction. This all sounds awesome. And I, you know, I don't think anybody would disagree that Twitter does it poorly, right? They're a very well-known product in the world. And we also know, especially from folks like yourself, they have a very mature and established design practice. So what happens when we're in a situation where we're not convinced that we're doing the right things? And maybe it's because design does not have a seat at the table, quote unquote. How do we handle that? I don't know. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, let me, let me honestly think on that. You can edit that out. I'm hoping. Uh, nope. All going to stay straight in. <laughs> but, um, and no, that long, one <laughs> long, long pregnant pause only because um that's a really really fantastic question and i think it deserves um a moment yeah i think you know design not being a part of the process um there's other fundamental questions that i think need to be asked about just the organization, how it's set up, how decisions get made. Um, does the organization understand the value of design? Kind of almost the first most basic question. Yeah. Um, if not, and arguably people up at the top don't get it, you're going to have a really hard time. I mean, I shouldn't say really hard time, but like there's a very good chance that you will be fighting harder than you should have to fight. Um, to get the ideas out there, to get people to listen, to um, earn the respect and trust of um, other folks in the, in the company. That said, you know, one thing designers are is scrappy. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think willingness to get in there and go do some extra work, go do extra legwork. Um, and I'm not saying like nights and weekends. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying like, all right, you're in a spot where you're not sure whether or not things are going the right direction. What can you do? What can you do as a designer? What tools do you have at your disposal to go and try and figure out whether or not there's anything that can be done? Yeah. Um, or whether or not 
a current solution is actually solving the problem. You know, you can talk to people, you can set up usability studies, you can build prototypes and go have people use those. Um, all kinds of different levels of fidelity. I mean, like there's, there's lots and lots of tools that I, I, I think a lot of great designers have at their disposal that when put in a corner and you kind of get into a situation like you're talking about, you, you use whatever's available to you so that you can present the best case possible. Right. Yeah. Um, and what you want to try and do is tie it to shit that matters. Right. Like, yes. If your if your company is currently not making money <laughs> and you're over here worried about your button styles, I'd argue that maybe recalibrating and refocusing your energies into like, oh, okay, what can we do to improve the conversion process is a better use of time and energy. And I guarantee you, if you want people's attention focus on the needs of the business and how design can help those. I promise, I promise uh, people will pay attention. Yes, yes, and double yes. So as you were saying that, I was actually going to say, I want to reintroduce something that you mentioned earlier in our conversation, which is it sounds to me like if things aren't going the way that we think they should, we don't feel like we're solving the right problem. We should reintroduce that calibration thing which is, uh, as we said, either a jobs to be done or the goals of our product and or experience. And that can help us in that situation. Would you agree? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it's, it's, it's constant, subtle realignment, you know? And like, I'd argue that happens at every level. Like a couple of designers working together on a design team, they've got to constantly be realigning um, the product realigning. Um, occasionally you have to reimagine something, mm-hmm. but more often than not, it's actually just kind of like holding it up against the, the ruler, if you will, the measuring stick. Right. And being like, Oh shit, we are off by a few feet. Holy yeah. cow. Yeah. Like it's, uh, I don't know that, that for me has been something that I've witnessed, um, and has held true in, almost every uh, work situation I've been in uh, and every company I've been a part of. Yeah. Hell yes. Okay. So I want to go into that. I, I, I'm literally going to seek my teeth into that because you said, Hey, (laughs) here's the measuring stick. We're a few feet off. Let's get literal. People want to measure the success of design. They want to measure the success of product work and product management, all of this stuff that people like you and I do. Let's talk about that. All right. Uh, Let's talk about it. Um, I think measuring design is sometimes really easy and really clear. And other times it's almost impossible. Yeah. Um, One of my favorite quotes. uh, I remember sitting in a room with Doug Bowman and he's like, how the hell do we measure how big their smile is? Right. I would have trouble responding to that one as a, as a, (laughs) as a pragmatist, I guess I would say. But what he was getting at was that like, there are things that are very clear and that we can mechanically measure and we can process and we can draw conclusions about. And then there's this whole other tier, which is very much emotional Mm -hmm. and very much um, about experience and how someone feels and responds and their context. Yes. Um, and those things 
are really freaking hard to to measure, right? Yeah. Um, you can often do some like in-person follow-up or interviews or, you know, some people do the NPS scores and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And it kind of sort of gets at that. But um, I think the funny part is that like humans are highly illogical <laughs> and super fucking emotional. Um, <laughs> you don't say. No, really, because of that, like, you can have data that points to a certain conclusion and then you can have a whole set of people use the product in a certain emotional state and it totally throws everything off. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just, there's a lot of nuance. I, um, I don't think that you can argue that like certain things should be measured and can be measured. And like, uh, um, you know, classic one from way back is just like, okay, how is our conversion funnel, mm-hmm. right? Like we have an onboarding flow or a sign up flow. Like do people drop off? Like, oh shit, we have 90% drop off on screen three. Okay. That's a design problem, right? We have a 10%. Could be. Pro- What's that? Or it could be, right? Yeah, it could be. It, it's not necessarily only, yeah. but th- there's a very good chance that you can employ clarity in the copy. Mm. You could employ um, visual cues. You could you, maybe your forms are styled in a way that people just don't understand that they're actually forms. Yeah, right. Like I hate to say it, I've seen some designers do some really fancy ass shit, and guess what? People <laughs> look at it, and they have no idea what it is, and so they they're out, they bounce. Yeah, um, totally. and so it's tough, you know. And when you're dealing with consumer products, a lot of what you're dealing with is engagement right? Like the classic evil buzzword. Um, and like all you're looking at is clicks. Yeah. And it's really tough. Cause like, I don't know, like maybe I had an extremely fulfilling experience scrolling through my, I don't know, whatever it is, my Snapchat stories or my Instagram feed or my Twitter, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I didn't take any interactions that day, but I still was super fulfilled and, you know, felt like I got what I needed. How do you measure that? Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. I I want to jump in here and actually say, so even in my experience, you say the evil word engagement. Now, either I'm evil or I don't mind having this conversation or both. <laughs> and I will tell you, every time a customer, client, or stakeholder has told that to me, I start foaming at the mouth. I get like super excited. And let me tell you why. Is My first question is, let's define engagement. Because it's an easy scapegoat to say we want to improve or increase engagement. Awesome. You talked about it in terms of clicks. But for me, everything I've done is start to talk about that squishy stuff. What are indicators of engagement? What what are sort of behaviors we might see that that would indicate engagement for us, right? And then when we have an understanding of maybe those behaviors or, you know, that those things that squishier stuff that we'll see that gives me a better idea of what metrics we can tie to those things. Well, okay. If we see a difference in this metric, that's because we'll be seeing this type of indicator or the signal, right? And that should tell us that we are improving or increasing engagement. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I think if you're talking, um, you know, more, uh, well, this may be a controversial statement, but I think more SaaS-based products and things that are um, 
essentially hired to do a job mm-hmm. fall into a slightly different category than things that are traditionally kind of more consumery stuff. Um, oh, I don't think that's controversial at all. I, I would consider everything you just said is fact, <laughs> almost 99% fact. Yeah. Um, Cause you know, once you get into the consumery side of things, um, unfortunately a lot of that is driven by advertising. Yeah. Uh, and so that's where things start to get really, really funky, um, in my opinion, and also why I'm building a product that we are going to charge for. So, <laughs> absolutely, that sounds like a great idea. Get money for the thing that you made. I like Turns that. Out, if, it, if it actually solves your problem, you're probably very willing to pay money for it. So, yes, exactly. Which is actually the crux of everything we've just discussed, right? Yeah, I love it. Okay. We talked about a lot of stuff in this podcast in this episode with Josh, you know, calibrating what you're doing to make sure it is solving the right problem. That calibration being jobs to be done or goals for your product or your experience or whatever, the project, and a number of ways to go about that. This has been a fascinating conversation. Josh, I want to ask you anything you would care to share with the listeners before we kind of wrap up today. Oh man, Uh, kind of parting thought. I think one thing I would recommend, uh, there's an awesome book called The Ego is the Enemy. Mm. And uh, I happen to think that it probably should be required reading for designers. Uh, Actually, it's probably required reading for humans. (laughs) Um, But really, really fascinating and helpful, I think, from understanding how we communicate, how we relate to one another, how we... I think can remove some of the ego out of what we do. And, and I don't say that in a bad way. I think, you know, definitely some designers, you know, or I think designers in general have a bit of a rap, you know, a bad rap about being egotistical and Mm -hmm. like whatnot. And I've witnessed enough of it and I've probably even uh, done some of it, uh, you know, to have warranted that in some way, shape or form. But, uh, you know, the more that we get ourselves out of the way and the more that we're able to focus on the we instead mm-hmm. of the me, I think uh, it ends up being beneficial for everyone involved. And the last thing that I'll throw out there, since you're giving me the opportunity, um, if you haven't heard about it, um, Abstract is uh, a new product that's coming out uh, when you're all listening to this, I, I imagine it will be sitting in a uh, in a kind of limited private release and heading towards being publicly available for everyone. And we're really reimagining the design workflow and trying to bring it into the 21st century. And so uh, we would love it if you came along and uh, gave it a try. And hopefully you'll find as much benefit as we're finding uh, in using it. So thank you guys seriously for having me on. Josh, this has been an absolutely delightful conversation to have with you. It's my pleasure and I'm glad that you were able to join us. So the ego is the enemy. We'll make sure to have a link to that on the episode page of the podcast and a link to abstract where Josh is CEO and co-founder trying to help people do better design, uh, which fits very nicely with us because we just want to help people make the right stuff. So I hope everybody enjoyed this conversation. I know I certainly did. Josh, thank you once again for joining us. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. All right. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye, my friend.
motherfucker. <laughs> We're putting it in. We're putting it in. We're putting it in. Thanks for listening to Aurelius Podcast, talking about product strategy and design strategy. We are the first platform of its kind to help you solve the right problems for your customers and your business and build products and services that truly matter. You can check us out at AureliusLab.com. That is www.A-U-R-E-L-I-U-S-L-A-B.com. You can check us out on Twitter at AureliusLab and Instagram, AureliusLab. We'll see you next time.